0: Amen, church? So let's jump right in. Revelation chapter 5. If you're you're there, say amen. If you're not there, get there. Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. It says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a book written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Question, what's this book? Now, Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of Calvary Chapel... Um, Dr. David Jeremiah, great Bible teacher, Harry Ironside, great Bible commentator, they all agree on the fact that this book is the title deed to the earth. They believe because it's in the Father's hand, the right hand, the hand of authority, God is holding on to this title deed. Now, in that culture, what they had was they had property that was off on family land, and if you went into major debt to somebody else, you'd lose your property. And what they do is they'd get a scroll like this, and they'd put on the scroll, they'd put the, the details about the property on one side, and then on the other side of the scroll, they'd put the debt that you had, and then they'd have a, a redemption price on the back of the other side of the scroll. And so what could happen is if you lost your family land because of your debt that you couldn't get out of, you, you would lose the title deed of your property, and the new property owner would have that title deed, but at the bottom of the back of the, of the scroll was a price of redemption, and then, they, then you could have a kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer was someone whose kin that had the money to buy the family land back would go, and they'd go to that person that now owns your land, and they would take that title deed back by paying off the redemption price. You get the picture? What did Jesus do on the cross? He came as a kinsman redeemer and the title deed of this earth was in Satan's hands and still is in some ways. And what we're going to see today is what Jesus does at the beginning here of the great tribulation is he's seen in heaven is he's going to the father and he's taken back this title deed that is temporarily for a season, but in Satan's hand, which is the dominion of this earth. Did you know that by the way, that Satan is in control of this world right now? And that's why Jesus said this, don't be, you could be in the world, but don't be what? Of the world. That's why Paul told us in Romans twelve too, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God. That's what was as good and acceptable and perfect. That's why we're told in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, in whose case the God of this world, notice that. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, when did that happen? When did Satan become the God of this world? When man fell to sin. Did you know that? Before that, man was running this world. He was in dominion of this world. That's why Genesis 127 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply on all the earth, subdue it, subdue the world and rule over the fish of the sea and over the parts of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And so man had dominion. Man had rulership of the world. But Romans 6.23 says the wages of our sin was death. And what happened at that point was the dominion of the world was then allowed to be, for this season we're in, in the hands of Satan. And that's why we're told in Ephesians chapter two, that Satan is the prince of the power of the air." John 12:31, uh, it says, "Now judgments upon this rule, world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out." And then Jesus, when he was being tempted in Matthew chapter four, Verse 8, it says, The devil took Jesus to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and he said to them, All these things I will give you if you fall down, Jesus, and worship me. And Satan was right. He has dominion over this world right now. He's the ruler of this age. He's the ruler of this world, the God of this world. He has the title deed in in his control right now because of the wages of our sin. But the good news we're going to see in this chapter it's Jesus is going to take the title deed back as the great tribulation begins. And here's the order. He's going now in heaven, taking the title deed back, and then he's going to start the judgment of the world, which we'll see starting next week with the great tribulation, and then he's coming back after the seven years of great tribulation at Armageddon, and he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth. In our prayers that he told us to pray, if thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven will come true at that point. And so the scene here is that Jesus is going to the Father and saying, it's time, Father. It's time for me to redeem the world and bring it back to its original state of paradise and Eden. And he will do that. After the seven years of Great Tribulation, after he kills uh, or destroys the Antichrist and 200 million troops, he's going to set up his kingdom here on earth, and it's going to be glorious. Go back to paradise. It's going to be a theocracy where the king of kings, Jesus, will reign. And the knowledge of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. It's going to be awesome. We're going to see animals that are at odds right now because of the cursed nature of our world right now. We're going to see animals that are like like this right now. We're going to see them lie down together and be at peace. Isaiah 11 actually says little kids will be able to play with poisonous pythons. I'll wait till Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom before I let my grandkids play with pythons. But that's going to happen because all creation is going to be restored. And we're told in Romans chapter 8 that all of creation right now groans. All of creation, including, including the, the very world itself, is groaning for redemption for this day that Jesus takes back the title deed of the earth and sets up his kingdom here on earth. And that's the scene we're in right now. And then it says, verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book, to break it back and seal? So so he's seeing this scene now, and he's saying, Who's worthy to redeem the world and redeem creation? And then it says in verse 3, And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book, to look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy. To open the book or to look into it. So what John is saying is, hey, I'm looking all throughout heaven. I'm looking all all throughout the earth. And there's no human being worthy to redeem this world. And he starts to weep. It says he weeps uncontrollably. Because no human being could fix this thing. Now this is instructive to us because I think oftentimes we look to humans to fix things. Look at this last election we just had. World is so up in arms. Our country is so up in arms right now because we're looking to a politician to fix the United States of America. I got news for you: no politician is going to fix America. Only the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus, the Lamb who was slain for our sins. Only the one who's the the the, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah has the power and the authority to fix this world. So let's remember that. Let's not look to politicians. Let's look to Jesus. Let's not pray for politicians to fix the United States of America. Let's pray soon and very soon Jesus is coming back. And let's pray for a revival, because that's the only hope we have for America right now. Is a revival by Jesus Christ in the in our midst. Amen? And so it says, No one in heaven or on earth under the earth was able to open the book to take back the rulership of the world and fix it. I was reading uh, W. A. Criswell, great Bible commentator, says this about this scene. He says John's tears represent the tears of all of God's people through all the centuries. They're the tears of Adam and Eve as they view the still form of their dead son Abel and sense the awful consequences of their sin and disobedience. These are the tears of all the children of Israel in bondage as they cried out to God for deliverance from affliction and slavery. There are the sobs and the tears wrung from the heart and soul of God's people as they stood be- beside graves of loved ones and experienced the indescribable heartaches, disappointments of life. Such is the curse that sin had laid upon God's beautiful creation. No wonder John wept so fervently. If there's no redeemer could be found to remove the curse, it meant that God's creation was forever consigned to, the re- to remain in the hands of Satan. So he's crying saying there's no man worthy. There's no one that could fix this thing. And then look at the scene. And then one of the elders said to me, John, stop weeping. John Hoppe, translation, suck it up. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and it's seven seals. So, first of all, we see John, don't worry. There is one who could re- redeem this whole creation, there is one that could fix it. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. What does that point to about Jesus Christ? What's a lion? Can you say king of the jungle? And we're in a jungle right now, folks, and he's the king. And when he comes back in Revelation 19, we're going to see, blazoned across his side, King of kings and Lord of lords. We're going to see him come back and fix the whole thing because he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. My dad was in real estate, and he was a real estate developer. He, he was also a commercial real estate appraiser. And growing up, what I saw him do is he'd, get, he'd go in and he'd buy properties, commercial properties, that were condemned and were just a mess and he'd get them because he was a commercial real estate appraiser. He could see this eventually could be a really good property. And he'd go in and he'd buy these things. And then he'd hire me and some of my high school friends. We'd be the demolition, demolition crew. He used to give us sledgehammers. And we'd just knock walls down. And I remember I still got a scar on my hand. I tried to punch my hand through a glass door one time. Showing my buddies I could punch through a glass door. I'll never do that again. I came back and as the glass was coming off, it just cut. Anyways, foolish things of our youth. But I remember, I remember uh, my dad would take these properties, and I remember one property that we demolished for him was a Victorian house, three-story house, Oak Park Avenue, right in the center of our suburb, and it was a mess. It was just so filthy, and people were living on, on, in, in, in substandard conditions, and then they were working in one of these restaurants below it, and it was just totally trashed. And my dad came in there, and after a couple years, it was totally fixed, There was an art gallery in there, it's just beautiful wood floors and brick, and interior was just like, wow. There was a CPA firm on the next floor, and they did everything, and I mean, the best of best was put in there. And I remember walking through that and going, man, that was a fixer-upper, man. And I was thinking of that. My dad was really good at fixing up, but my Savior Jesus, when he comes to this world, you talk about the ultimate fixer-upper. When he comes back as the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he says, I am going to reign now in this world. And I'm going to set up this world the way it's supposed to be. And I'm going to make it like the Garden of Eden again. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But also it says, interesting, the picture of Jesus as heaven's worshiping him. He's not only the king, he's also the lamb. Now what was the lamb throughout scripture? It's a sacrifice. Go back to the Old Testament. And the sacrifice for Israel's sins was the lamb on the Passover. They'd actually take the blood on the Passover meal of a lamb and they'd put it on the top of the door on the two sides of the door and that was symbolic of the cross pointing to the future lamb. And when Jesus came onto the scene and as he became the the, the savior of the world and the public ministry began, John the Baptist, his cousin, declared to all his disciples, behold, what? The lamb of God who takes away the sins of the whole world. And so, Jesus, yeah, he's, he's a lion of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the Lamb of God who takes away our sins because of what he did on the cross. And that's how he fixes everything, by the way, through the redemption, through the blood of the Lamb. And that's why it says in Scripture the way that we're fixed individually is when we come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ and we behold the lamb as our savior and receive him into our lives. It says the just died for the unjust in order to bring us to God. He, he died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust in order to bring us to God. And that's what we're told in Second Corinthians 5.21. God made him who, no, no, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And I want you to see something here though. As the worship of heaven is now focused on the Lamb of God, it says he's a Lamb who was slain. You know what that tells us? For the rest of eternity, Jesus is going to have the scars where He was pierced through for our transgressions. For the rest of eternity, He's going to have the hole in His side where He was pierced with that sword for us. And His feet He's going to have the holes in his feet. He's going to have the scars around his brow where the crown of thorns was just (laughs) smashed on his head. And the rest of eternity, we're going to be worshiping Jesus, not only for being the lion, the king, the conquering one, but we're going to worship him also for being the lamb who bears scars for the rest of eternity for what he did for us on the cross. And that will move us to worship for the rest of eternity. We'll be bowing down to the the Lamb of God who takes away our sins. Out of gratitude and thanksgiving, we'll worship him as the Lamb who is slain for our sins to fix us. Interesting also, it says in verse 6, And I saw between the throne... The four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing, as of slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, verse 6, which are the seven spirits of God and sent out into all the earth. Now, between the throne, between God's holy throne and the elders that represent the church and the leadership of the church, is the lamb standing. Now, why is that significant? It's because what Jesus does in heaven for us, the church, for Christians is he's going to stand between us and the holiness of God. That's what Jesus does. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, in our sin, we have an advocate. The word advocate is representative, or he literally translates attorney. In verse 2 of 1 John two, 2, it says this, and he has now become the propitiation for our sin. The word propitiation means this, the satisfaction for God's righteous requirements. So here's how it's going to work. Jesus Christ, when I face a holy God one day, I'm going to stand right here, and just like with the elders, he's going to stand in between me and the Heavenly Father who's holy. And Jesus Christ is going to say to that Holy Father, he's going to say, Father, I still bear the scars for John Hoppy. I still have the hole in my side for John Hoppy. Father, I died for John Hoppy." Don't judge John Hoppy for what he's done. Judge John Hoppy for what, right here, Father, what I've done for him. And then the Father's going to look at the lamb who was slain for me, and then he's going to say to me, John Hoppy, enter now into the joy of your master. And then, amen, amen. And he's going to put your name in there too if you're a believer. And then, amen, your name's right there. And then John Hoppe is going to get on my knees. And I'm going to worship the lamb who was slain for me and say, thank you, Jesus, that you're the lamb of God who was slain for me and my sin. When he said, it is finished, literally translated, paid in full, that's exactly what he meant. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all our sin. And as far as the east is from the west, so God has taken our sins away from us. Even though our sin is as scarlet, we're white as snow. And if that doesn't make you want to worship the lamb who died for you, you need to wake up spiritually. Because that makes me, I want to worship. Worthy are you, O lamb, who is slain for me. And then it goes on. It says that Jesus has seven horns, seven eyes, and seven spirits of God, which are sent out into all the earth. Now, what's that all about? Seven horns, well, horns are authority and power. Seven is the number of completion. It's saying we're going to worship Jesus for the rest of eternity because he has complete authority and power because he's God, the God-man. And he has omnipotence is what it's called, all power and authority. But he not only has that, he has seven eyes, complete ability to see all things. He is totally omniscient as God, as the God-man. And then he also has seven spirits, complete spirits that go out to the ends of the earth, and he's omnipresent through those, the Holy Spirit that's all the way throughout the whole earth. Jesus Christ, just like the Father, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, and he's omnipresent. Can I get amen on that? Amen. We need to remember that, that our Savior, he sees all things, he knows all things, and he can conquer all things because he has all power and authority. Verse 7, and he came and he took out this title deed of the earth from the Father. He took it out of the right hand, the hand of authority, of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, they fell down before the Lamb, having each one a harp. That's where we get those harps from. We see those pictures of angels, little chubby angels with harps. Hey, it says there's harps. But the word harp, they're interesting. It can literally be translated lyre, literally translated um, stringed instruments. The Greek word there is guitara. It's pretty cool. There's going to be guitars in heaven. Uh, that's awesome. Stringed instruments. And then it also says there's going to be golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers the saints. You see the picture of what our prayers are? They're like incense going up to heaven. And all of heaven, when we pray, smells, God's people are praying again. And you know what? Jesus said, my father's house, talking about the place of worship, the temple, he says, my father's house should be a house of what? Prayer. You know, we got this thing right here at Calvary Chapel about the word of God. God honors his word even above his name. And we centralize the importance of the teaching of God's word. But I think we're still growing in this area of prayer. And I'm glad, I think that we're seeing some growth in this area of prayer as our church. We have a prayer group of about a dozen people back there in the cafe. Before even the services start here on Sunday morning, people are praying for like 30 minutes for God to move during these services. It's wonderful. We, we had a, a night of prayer right before the election where the, the whole church that was here on Wednesday night, we prayed for an hour and a half. Those are like incense rising in heaven. Oh, the sweet smell of God's people. God loves that. And here's the deal. As we become more and more a people of prayer and a house of prayer, what's going to happen is God's going to move more and more. Because the prayers of God's people are powerful and effective. And when we work, we work. But when we pray, listen, church, when we pray, God works. Amen? So let's keep growing in this area of prayer. Because before revival hits, if you look all the time throughout church history, before revival hits, it's always because God's people are praying. Because the incense and the smell of prayer reaches heaven, and God responds through... just his spirit, like a rushing wind coming in and doing great things in response to prayers. You want our nation to, to, to change? You want to see revival in the United States of America again? I do. I hope we all do as a church. Then if my people who are called by my name seek my face, turn from their uh, wicked ways, and they, they pray, God says, I will heal your land. Again, the answer to our messed up country right now is not a politician, it's Jesus Christ. And it's God's people praying that rises up like incense incense to heaven and God responds. And then it says in verse nine, and they sang a new song. I like that. There's gonna be new songs in heaven. That's pretty cool. And and you know what? Sometimes people give us a hard time. Why don't we sing hymns all the time and nothing but hymns here at Calvary Chapel? Because Pastor John and our worship team, we like new songs too. That's okay. There's going to be new songs in heaven. We sing hymns, though, too. I love, I love some of the hymns. They've got great theology in them, but I love some of these new songs. Like that new song we sang this morning once again, The Evidence of God's Goodness, that is a biblical anointed song, and it's a new song, and it's fresh, and it's wonderful, and heaven's going to be filled with new songs. And were art out thou to take the book, to break its seals, for men from every tribe and tongue and people, Verse 10, and thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they'll reign upon the earth. Interesting. What's heaven going to be made out of? Is it just people like you or like me? No, it's people from every tribe, every people, and listen, every nation. Part of the beauty of heaven is diversity. And I'm praying for more and more of that diversity here in our church because we represent heaven better the more diverse we get. Did you know that? And God is, is a diverse God. Red, yellow, black or white, they are all precious in God's sight. And they should be in our sight too. And I'm praying for more and more diversity here at Calvary Chapel because it repre- represents heaven. It's wonderful. When I went to seminary, I drove my motorcycle all the way across the country and I'd never been out there before. But the seminary I went to was in Southern California. I get out to Los Angeles. You talk about a diverse place. And then I get to the, the seminary, I went to Fuller Theological Seminary, and there was people from sixty different nations. There's only about a thousand students there, and we had people from sixty different nations in our student body, and we had people from over sixty different denominations. And it was awesome. I had friends from all over the world during those three years of graduate school. One of my best friends was from Buenos Aires, Argentina, his name was Sergio Scatolini, and I used to give him a hard time because he looked just like that guy in the white tuxedo in uh, Fantasy Island, right? He talked just like him, too, with the accent, like, oh, there's my Fantasy Island friend. And I had friends from China, and I had friends from South Africa, and I had friends from uh, all over the world, and I loved it. We'd have chapel, and we'd have people such diversity in that student body. And we'd all have our hands raised, worshiping the Lord. And I remember times thinking, "This is what heaven's going to be like—the beauty of diversity." And let me tell you something, church: racism is satanic and sinful because it doesn't—it's not God's heart. God's heart is uh, Galatians three twenty-eight. There's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female free or slave, we're all one in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. And if if you're a racist and you're coming here at Calvary Chapel, either you better repent or you better leave. Because racism ain't going to be a part of our culture whatsoever. I remember when we were first starting the church and I had a, a gentleman come into my office and He started not being a gentleman. He started making all these racial comments. And then he even started using a word that greatly offends me. It starts with N. And he used that word two or three times. And I stopped him dead in his tracks. Right in my church office, in the pastor's office, he's throwing out all these racial slurs and and then that word. And I said, stop, stop, stop. Do you know that word greatly offends me? And I never want you to use that word ever again in this church office. And then he kind of joked about a little bit and then had a couple more lines and then he walked out of my office and he never came back to Calvary Chapel. And I said, that was a blessed subtraction. You know why? Because if he's using those, that kind of racism in the church office with me, what's he doing out in the community and what's he saying and then what's he saying where he goes to church? And I don't want our church ever to be associated with that kind of sin because it is sin. Because God's heart, he loves all people. God's heart is, the the ground is level at the foot of the cross. There's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free. We're all one in Christ Jesus. And church, can I get an amen on that? Amen. Amen. Let's fight that. Let's fight our culture that gets into that kind of stuff. And then it says, every tribe, every nation, verse 11, and I looked and I heard the voice of many angels Around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And look at this. And the number of them around the throne was myriads of myriads, thousands of thousands. Now, myriads is 10,000. In the Greek, that's 10,000 multiplied by 10,000. Mass students, how many people are around the throne of God worshiping Jesus Christ here? Not hundreds of thousands. Hey, hundreds of millions. That's hundreds of millions of people around the throne of God. Can you imagine that? I remember going to the very first time I went to a Calvary Chapel. I drove all the way up to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa to be at the original Calvary Chapel on a Sunday night. And I remember I was investigating Calvary Chapel at the time, and I went there on a Sunday night service. I remember getting to the park line. It was a huge park line. It was packed. And I get in there. The sanctuary seated over 2,000 people, and there wasn't an empty seat. There was over 2,000 people there for a Bible study on a Sunday night. And then the worship team started worship. And everybody's hands started going up. And because this is like the core of the church, everybody was passionately worshiping Jesus Christ. I'm going, did I just walk into heaven or what's going on here? It was awesome. And I was sold from that. I'm I'm in. I said, I'm in. I'm I'm Calvary Chapel now. This is awesome. But I was thinking of that when I was thinking now as studying this week, this scene of heaven. It's not 2,000 people. Hundreds of millions of people worshiping the lamb who is slain for us, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Could you imagine the glory that's going to be a part of heaven for the rest of eternity as we worship the lamb, lamb who was slain for our sins, who's the king and the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's the picture we're being painted here of heaven as John sees through the portals of heaven. And he says, saying with a loud voice, all of heaven, hundreds of millions are going to say, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power. And riches, and wisdom, and might, and honor, and glory, and blessing, and every created thing which is in heaven, and on earth, and even under the earth. And notice this, and on the sea, and all things in them, I heard them saying, to him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be blessing, and honor, and glory, and dominion, forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, amen. And then the elders they fell down, and they worshiped. I was looking at this scene this week, and I was thinking, this is amazing. They're giving the glory, the worthiness to Jesus, and he is worthy. And by the way, that's what, what, part of what the word worship means also. It means giving worth to somebody that is worthy of that worth. And that's what we're doing with worship But it's interesting here too. It says all of creation at this point, as Jesus takes back the title of the earth, as he begins this redeeming of all creation through judgment through the great tribulation and then his second coming, he's grabbing back the ownership of the world and all of heaven is erupting in praise and giving him glory. And not only that, all of creation. It says every created things, even the things in the sea. It's interesting. This is like Dr. Doolittle stuff. Even the fishies in the sea are going, blah, blah, blah. praise Jesus. And there's biblical precedence for that, by the way. Remember when Jesus was coming in on the donkey into Jerusalem and the religious leaders were telling all these people that were worshiping Jesus, stop it, stop worshiping this man. And Jesus said, if you stop then, even the rocks will cry out and worship me, Right? I was reading this week in my quiet time in the Old Testament. It says a part of Jesus' second coming is even the trees in the field are to be clapping their hands. Can you imagine those branches going together? Praise Jesus, he's coming back. All of creation is going to be saying worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lion of the tribe of Judah who's redeeming the world when he comes back. And then it says in verse 14, and the four living creatures... They kept saying, these are the angels around the throne. They kept saying, amen. And the elders fell down once again and worshiped. It's awesome. So what are the takeaways from this chapter? I'll give you three this morning as we close. Number one, hey, we're on the winning side. Jesus is coming back, man. Amen. <laughs> Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in our Lord Jesus Christ. We know from the book of Revelation Jesus is going to take back the ownership of this world and he's going to win in the end. There's no, none of this Star Wars thing where there's a good force and there's a bad force and no one knows who's going to win. We know who wins. It's Jesus. He's coming back. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's taken back the ownership of this world and he is going to throw Satan in the lake of fire and he's going to establish his kingdom here on earth and it's going to be awesome. We're on the winning side. Never forget, church, Christians, You're you're victorious in Jesus. Don't have a victim mentality. Have a victor mentality. Number two, don't be of this world. Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. The God of this world is Satan. Don't be pulled into that. Don't be conformed to this world. And I see it way too often. I see people naming the name of Christ and then just being of the world, talking like the world, drinking like the world. Swearing like the world? No. Set your minds in heaven. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then he'll add all things unto us. Colossians chapter 3 says we're actually supposed to set our minds in heaven because we're citizens of another world. Remember, church, don't ever forget, this ain't your home. Heaven is. Keep your hearts in heaven. And the third takeaway this morning, very important. Be worshipers of Jesus. He is worthy of our worship. Because he's the Lamb who was slain for our sins, the one who's gonna come back and take back this world and fix it. Keep your focus on being a worshiper of Jesus. I was playing some music this morning. <laughs> and I was shaking our hearts with music, shaking our house with worship this morning. I was I was on that, you know. I forgot Pandora it's called or whatever. And I have it hooked up to this little sport, portable speaker in my shower and stuff. And Heidi was like, what is he doing up here now? And as sing a hallelujah came on. And it came, you know, raise a hallelujah. And I just got into it, man. I just started in the shower. Raise a hallelujah. And then, you know, and then it said shout. I was, shout! Like this. And I was shouting in the shower this morning. Because I want to be a worshiper of the one... Who was slain for me? I want to not be a half-hearted worshiper. I want to be a whole-hearted worshiper, because He is worthy. He is worthy of our worship. Let's pray, Father. We just thank you so much for the Lamb who was slain for us. Thank you so much, God. You are You are a God that has gave Your best. For You so loved the world that You gave Your one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but we have eternal life. Thank you, God, so much that you make it clear throughout the book of Revelation that you're going to win. That thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to be victim mentality. We can be victorious. Thank you, God, you give us the power of the Holy Spirit, too, where we don't have to be conformed to this world. We can live above the current of this world and we can live for Christ. Help us, Lord, to get back to being people that want to just be wholehearted on fire for Christ and not of this world Lord forgive us for those times where we get pulled in, we get pulled into all the stuff of the garbage of this world, help us to be rebels against that Lord if we're going to rebel against anything Lord help us to rebel against the current of this world, the evil, the immorality the filthiness of this world and help us to live holy lives Lord Thank you, Lord, that your forgiveness is grace, and grace is there when we sin. Thank you, God, if we confess our sins, your faithful and just will forgive and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Lord, I pray, too, that you'd help us to be people that just love to worship you, Jesus, because you died for us. Help us to be people that are living in holy sacrifices, acceptable to you, which is our spiritual service of worship. And Lord, I pray for this area, too, of loving all people. Forgive us, Lord, when we only love people that are like us. Help us to love people from every tribe, every nation, every people because that's who you are, Lord. You love all people. Give us that love too. And Father, just I thank you so much, Father, that there is an advocate, there is a propitiation for our sins, and Jesus one day is going to stand between us and you, the Holy Father, and it's going to be that propitiation the satisfaction for your righteousness because of what he did on the cross. May that move us for the rest of eternity to want to worship you, Jesus, because of what you've done for us. We thank you for that, Lord. We pray all these things now in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.